0: We're studying the parables of Jesus, these these stories that Jesus created to help us understand that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we live in an altered reality. We don't live according to our culture. We don't live according to the most popular things that are happening today. We don't live according to the things that, that we necessarily develop ourselves but we live according to the person, the character of God, and we live according to his word and the way it teaches. And it alters our reality to a new reality founded and established in God's reality. And this morning we're going to do that again. We're going to look at a couple of these stories that Jesus has shared to help us understand faith. And we'll be in Luke chapter 14. Let me take just a moment. I just, I just want to let you know it's a holiday weekend Uh, Holiday weekends have taken on a new nuance since COVID, so the vast majority of our young families left town Friday night, and don't plan on coming back till late Monday night. Good luck if you're a teacher on Tuesday morning, but they will watch our live stream. They always do, not immediately in this moment. They may not be with us live um, because they're in tents and beach houses and hotels and they're trying to wrestle kids and it's even worse under those conditions than it is at home trying to get them here to church but they'll watch us this afternoon so thank you for supporting that being a part of that jacob's with us this morning jacob's on here regularly i host the chat during the service in case somebody was just happened to notice and thought who's pastor texting right before the service and when the songs are going on i'm talking to our live stream folk and our live stream congregation jacob's on all the time jacob Jacob really made me feel good this morning. He said he was on here. I don't remember the exact words and I'm not gonna look it up right this second, but the way I understood it is Jacob has been looking forward all weekend and to this moment, just to hear me teach. Thanks Jacob, I appreciate friends. Normally, from Waxahachie, Mahaya area in Texas, Central Texas, Rena's on there every week because she loves to watch her little boy lead worship. That little boy had a birthday this weekend. And uh, so she is in Tomball and live in person, but logged in this morning and chatted on live stream. Anyway, from the worship service, happy birthday, Josh. What year is this? 37. Wow, you're one of the oldest guys on staff these days. That's ancient. We don't count the senior pastor who's nearly double that. But anyway, we're glad to have Rena and her family. The the Sebrons have a variety. It's Rena's birthday, it's Josh's birthday, it's Olivia's birthday, which is Josh's daughter. I, I may have missed one. They have all kinds of birthdays this weekend and they're celebrating that together. But it's great to have those who are on live stream. Many people who cannot make it to church are actually on live stream as well. And you help be a part of that. And we're always thankful for them and always appreciate the comments and things that they make on Sunday morning and later afterwards because it stays up. We broadcast on a new channel this morning. We're on Facebook this morning as well. um, if if That all worked this morning. Um, And so we've got that available as well to help people worship together wherever they're at. And to help people understand how deeply God loves us and how deeply God wants us to be in relationship with him. But you know, one of the things that happens with the way God wants us in relationship is it's not just a blind decision. And Jesus never abdicated that. I know right after I became a Christian, I heard people say, well, it's blind faith. You don't have any idea. You can't see God. You don't know. You don't know what's taking place. You're just doing it. It's all emotional. It's some kind of crutch. All these different types of excuses to avoid being in a relationship. It might come as a surprise to some to understand that that's actually never been the perspective of Jesus. Jesus was real clear, and the stories we look at today are Painfully clear. I mean, they hit you hard because Jesus is going to tell us if you're considering following me, if you're thinking about having a relationship with me, if you want to be in a relationship with God, you need to consider all that's going to cost and all that's going to be involved in that decision because it is not just a simple decision. I'm going to do this and my life's going to be better. Now, I will tell you, those of us who have trusted Christ and those of us who are in relationship with Christ will tell you life is better after meeting Jesus because he walks through difficult times with us and he gives us hope. Another dear member of ours, Julia, is right here. I didn't get your permission, but can I tell him what we were praying about this morning? Julia lost three of her family this week in Chicago. There was an apartment fire. Three of them were on the second floor of the apartment. One of the girls is special needs. And she and her parents, Julia's niece, didn't make it out of the apartment. First thing we did when we talked and shared and told me that heartbreaking story, is we prayed together. Jesus does not come into this situation and say, hey, everything's gonna go perfect, everything's gonna be fine. There is absolutely nothing fine about a family losing their lives in an apartment fire. Nothing fine. Family's devastated, the community's devastated, those first responders are honored and loved firemen, police officers, EMS workers, they are all there, they're having horrible, horrible weekends. But Julia has peace because Julia made the decision to believe in, to trust in Jesus, and because she knows her family members made that decision and she knows as horrific as this is, they're actually in heaven and they're okay, and the family is going to be comforted by the presence of God and by the people of God, the church that comes together in moments like this. Whether it's a celebration of a birthday, whether it's the grief of a loss of a family, whether, whether it's any set of circumstances, it's, it's disease or something that prohibits us from being together in church, and so we're on live stream. Whatever our circumstances is, whatever those situations are, Jesus is with us. But Jesus challenged us to not take lightly that decision to trust him. Because oftentimes following him will cost us. And that's what he says in Luke chapter 14. On the flip side of it as well, Jesus gives two really sound principles for finances and for just living and making plans. Let's look at what Jesus says. In Luke chapter 14, we're gonna go all the way to the bottom of the chapter down in verse 25. Let me read it to us in its entirety. Now, great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned to them and said, this is the most popular moment in Jesus's life. In all three gospels, this is included in Luke, it's included in Matthew, it's included in Mark. These great clouds are following him. He turns to the crowd and says, The opposite of what most of us would expect any superstar to say. He says to them in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own wife, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." Here's the two stories. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and evaluate and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it. All the onlookers will begin to ridicule him saying, this man started to build but wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not sit down first and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce his possessions cannot be my disciple. Jesus gives us everything from forgiveness to eternal life and all that we need in between. But it is a decision that deserves evaluation. It is a decision that deserves contemplation. And it is a decision that should not be lightly made because it is a commitment of our whole life. Jesus hits it hard and he, and he hits it in a, in a difficult place. And it almost seems contradictory because most of us have had the opposite experience. Most of us becoming a Christian is what allowed us to be right and reconciled with our families in the past and to, if we're young enough when we make that decision, to be able to build families that are secure and strong and meaningful and full of love. My family would be nothing today if Jesus had not intervened in my life. I accepted Jesus in April, I got baptized the first week of May, and I was home in a family where I had left in the midst of discord and unhappiness and broken relationship to spend that next summer and the remaining 40 years of my life reconciling with my parents and my sister, because knowing Jesus and experiencing his forgiveness gave me a reason to want to be deeply involved with my family. A few years later, I'm pastoring, I'm speaking, I'm living the life that I believe God's called me to live when I cross paths and I talked a little bit about that last week during Lord's Supper with what would become my wife and I made the decision to love her. And out of that love, God bless us with children that are now grown and raised and and successful and doing meaningful things in their lives, that would not have happened. I was incapable of sustaining relationship before I met Jesus. Issues like faithfulness and stability were just simply not a part of who I was prior to knowing Jesus. And it, we probably never would have even dated successfully, and we definitely would have never gotten married successfully, or if we had, we would have gotten married and it would have not been successful. Because when a life is outside of the teachings of God, outside of the presence of God, you simply can't sustain it. I have a great family today, I have a great wife today that the greeters harassed me about because I saw her in the lobby and that's kind of the first time other than when we first get up on Sunday mornings. And getting up on Sunday mornings is hard for everybody, even the pastor, sometimes mostly the pastor. And I saw her in the lobby and I just wanted to hug her and I wanted to kiss her. And my greeter team says, hold it, hold it, hold it. We don't want that much public display of affection at church. I told him I didn't care. Kissed her anyway. Kissed her a second time. That all happens. That is what it is because Jesus intervened. And now I've got to process and cope with the reality that as he's becoming increasingly popular he tells the crowd, look, unless you're willing to give up everything to follow me you can't sustain it You can't finish. The commitment requires finishing. The commitment requires strategy. And we have to be a part of it. And that's why he uses these two stories. He tells us flat out using a construction story that if we can't finish it, we shouldn't start it. It's a simple, practical thing. Jesus is about sustaining. When I became a believer, I thought, and most of the people who knew me thought, this is a flash in the pan. This is never going to last. Well, I'm going to tell you, the only thing in my life that has lasted is knowing Jesus. And anything else falls under that category. It has lasted and it has been sustained. And I can anticipate finishing well because Jesus changed everything. But it didn't relinquish the responsibility to give everything, to give up everything and to say, I will live my life for Jesus and Jesus only. Because as we've sang this morning, what I know now on the other side of that equation is only Jesus can provide all the things I need to sustain this life. And so he tells the crowd, think about what you're going to do. Just as a contractor would think about what you're going to do, make sure you have everything in place, make sure you can accomplish this, sustain this, and you can finish it. Not that he's not offering to provide, but God's provision is always manifest with and accompanied by his wisdom. He provides because he anticipates us to be stewards. We don't have anything that isn't God's to start with. And so if we are in need of provision, he will provide, but he anticipates we will do it from a biblical perspective and we'll be stewards of that. And then he talks about strategizing. What is the best plan? Will will I join? Am I going to be committed? Will I finish? Can I finish? Do I have a strategy? What is the best plan? And he describes a king in conflict with another nation. And those two conflicts are coming to a head. And the king doesn't simply just blindly, haphazardly go forward and crash into it only to be defeated. He plans and he strategizes, he determines what he's able to do, and in determining what he's able to do, he makes appropriate decisions, yielding the best result. Again, not because God's not powerful, the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, are filled with stories and events, the dots on the graph that Josh was talking about that indicate, no, God can do this. God can conquer tens of thousands with 300 because he's done it. God can bring freedom to millions of people escaping bondage and slavery and indenturement and human trafficking and every other bad evil that is not new today, just more rampant because of poor leadership. And you feel trapped. You feel up against the shore, nowhere to go. A huge ocean in front of you. A huge army behind you. And you've got millions of innocent people. Only God, only Jesus can step in and open the waves, open the ocean. Let you cross through on dry land. And then close it down on the enemy. He's not saying I'm not going to provide, he's not saying I'm not strong enough, but what he's saying is all of those things are accompanied when you follow me by the wisdom that I will give you. This is not only applicable to making the decision today whether or not I'm going to believe in Jesus or not, whether or not I want to live my life for Jesus, or if I owe no Jesus, am I really doing everything that I should be and am I participating in every way that I should, but it's just sound business. And this is where I'm gonna deviate for just a couple of minutes. I wanna talk about a business issue for our congregation. I wanna talk about our future for just a few minutes, and I am watching the timer, it'll be only a few minutes. Many of you have already heard this, We've had town hall discussions. We've met with consultants. We've met with architects. We've met with contractors. Everybody, for the most part, knows, unless you're a guest for the first time today, and then you're going to hear this for the first time today, and all I can really do is just say, "I'm, I'm sorry, but we need to talk as a family for a moment about our future as a church. Because, see, we already made the decision. In 1909, we made the decision to give everything to follow Jesus, In 1909, we weren't here. I don't believe I've got anybody who was actually here in 1909. I'm pretty confident of that. We made the decision as a church, as a ministry, to do anything and everything God wants us to do to impact our community with the good news, the hope of Jesus. And for over 100 years, we have been doing that. And every once in a while we come to these moments where we have to kind of reaffirm that and readjust that and we have to look at the strategy, we have to look at what we can finish, we have to look at what we can accomplish and what is the best plan going forward. About 25 years ago our church began looking at that and asking ourselves what's the future look like. They did the MDEF studies that quite honestly were lacking on the full picture because nobody could anticipate the growth of Harris County, the growth of Houston, the growth of Montgomery County, and definitely the growth of the Tomball region. 10 years ago, nobody was able to predict it is as exponential as it is. But the wisdom and vision of this church before most of us were here said let's set apart land that'll provide for the future of the church. Because they recognized at that time that remaining in this location wasn't sustainable. And they set that apart. Most of us in this room, most of us on live stream inherited this. Now, it's our decision. We are the generation who steps into a new promised land under the leadership of God. And our teams have been working together for multiple years, but intensely for the past year, to create a plan that makes sense. You received a copy from the greeters team when you came in. It shows you a picture of the first phase of the new building on the new property out on 249. I want to just take a couple of minutes and show you how this allows us as a church to finish and how this allows us as a church to strategically make the best decisions. We've already made the decisions. We're in acting on that decision, but I don't know about you, but I need to every once in a while, even once I've made a decision, i have to revisit it. I believe in, in marketing and sales, they refer to it as consumer dissidence. That's that phone call you get 24 hours after you just laid down your savings on a car and you've just written that check and you noticed in the bank that it cashed and your account doesn't have that much money in it anymore. And you're thinking, was this really the best car? That's why you get a call 25 hours later. You thought of this cuz the the salesman liked you didn't have anything to do with that. He doesn't want you to change your mind while you can still take it there. I need to do that all the time on every decision I make. On the back side of your sheet there's a picture on the front side that just shows the architectural rendering of the first part of the building. The back side shows that building. These buildings have been designed for practicality, for relationships, and for missional purposes. And I wanna just take a couple of minutes out of your time to help see what that was and what that looks like because it's different than many other projects. Most churches I know that go into a project like this, one, they have a need and they need to and they want to grow bigger and larger. We're actually downsizing. We're growing smaller and more intimate, but we're growing more practically as well. I am not going to go into the details, but I may tell you every year we live in financial crisis. Every year that I've been here, I know it was actually happening before I got here, but I don't want to disparage or say anything bad about prior administrations, but I've dealt with it every year I've been here. This year was a perfect storm. All costs have gone up this year. Everywhere. Y'all know that. I'm not telling you something you don't know. You may not know it about church. Unanticipated costs went up. It cost us more to do everything this summer than it's ever cost us. Most, most of the ministry budgets, all of the maintenance budgets, everything are overrun. We keep an extremely tight budget, there's like no flex in it. This, we, there's, there's no fluff like, okay, we're going to set the budget at this number, you know, and, and then we'll just spend up to it even though we don't know exactly what we're going to do. So all that to say, when we give you budget numbers and we say the budget takes $25,000 a week, that means it costs this church $25,000 a week to stay alive. Any gifts below that $25,000 are in the red, they're they're not just simply below budget and nobody cares, it's going to be wiped out and brand new in January 1. No, every dollar that we're behind on the budget is a dollar that we're in the reserves and we're spending money we don't have. I'm just going to be honest with you all. Most of you, I think most of you already know this. Any decision moving forward needs to be practical because this is a cycle we don't need to fight every year. Now, Everybody just take a deep breath of air real quick, including me. Just calm down for a second. It is a cycle. We've made the adjustments. This year was kind of a perfect storm, so it's kind of one of the worst ones. We've made the adjustments. The staff's made the adjustments. The administrative teams made the adjustments. We know the trends in the cycle, so unless you all get offended today and decide never to give a dime to the church again as a result of this message, we'll be fine. We will end the year like we plan and like we have to do every year in the black, it won't be a lot in the black, because we run everything tight. It'll be 10,000 I think last year we were 11,000 dollars in the black as we ended the year. That's pretty well where we are normally. So take a deep breath. Nobody's going to repossess anything, because we don't owe anybody anything, which is thankful, not on this property. We're free and clear. We've paid all the electric bills. We've had a few Sundays without air conditioning, but it was because the air conditioning isn't sustainable and it can't be kept up and it breaks and it requires fixing, which is a lot of what affects us. Those types of issues are being addressed in this plan. It's downsizing. We have 84,000 square feet of facilities. Now I've not done an analysis to be able to tell you how much of that is qualitative square footage. But we have done multiple consultations over the years with consultants and, and architects and contractors, people who have anticipated buying this facility have done those same consultations. And the conclusion is always the same. These facilities are no longer sustainable. I joke about it every once in a while when we're in service and say, you're in the best room. You are in the best room. Our children are in the worst room. Those buildings are over 80 years old. They cannot be properly heated or cooled. They cannot be properly maintained. And we're living on 80 years of no maintenance. Ministers are notoriously picky about their salaries. And they rarely want to fix an air conditioner or replace carpet or build a new wall or take walls out if it means there's not enough in the personnel budget. And so it hasn't happened. Not for a couple of years, but for decades. There's no security in our children's wing. I know, everybody's going, oh my gosh, all those parents you just talked about, they're down down at Padre and they're going to watch this, they're going to watch the live stream this afternoon and go, oh my gosh, pastor said they can't repair the children's wing. Pastor said they, they can't secure the children's wing. Why am I bringing my kids back from vacation? They're bringing it because they love us. They love the people of this church. But that's an unbelievable obstacle to the future. This is downsizing from 84,000 square feet to 34,000 square feet. This is 84,000 square feet of property and buildings that are not connected. They're intersected between one another. Some with covered sidewalks, some without. They're extremely difficult to navigate. There are 84,000 square feet of, of buildings and property that are intersected by two major roads. So every week, hundreds of children Crossroads back and forth on a street that nobody in Tomball pays any attention to, but everybody in Tomball wants to drive on. To the point, attempts to get the city to, to sign off on it have failed repeatedly on closing it. Everybody's in one building in the future. Nobody goes outside. We have senior adults who came to Bible study this morning and went home to watch the live stream because they can't navigate physically moving from their Bible study classrooms into this worship center any longer. And they'll call me and they'll cry with me and they'll ask me, what should I do? I wanna hear your preaching, I wanna be a part of worship. And I tell them the same thing every time, your small group is more important than the worship service. So every week we run more in small groups than we do in worship service because the pastor tells them that's the priority. Because when they get sick, And when they get homebound and when something like COVID hits our community, it's the small groups that come to the top, not the large groups. Everything's designed to be smaller and more intimate in a practical fashion and relational in every way. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you're looking at the actual floor plan, on the left side in the purple is the worship area. That worship area is multi-purpose. This area can be used once a week for a couple of hours. And even then, it doesn't work. Sound is absolutely horrible and there's nothing you can do. If you're sitting behind the roof of the balcony, you're getting the worst sound in the entire room. And they have been trying since they built this thing in 1981 to figure out what to do. And you can't do anything about it other than remove the balcony. There's no balcony in this building. There's no fixed seating. We can use the new worship venue every day of the week for any event that we want to. In November, our women's ministry is wanting to host a a dinner for all of us. On that day, here, we will go to Bible study, navigate the weather and the street, come over here to worship, and then leave out of here and navigate through the small entrances out the back and try to get it back across the street, back to the gymnasium, which looks Absolutely horrible. I would not bring any guest in there ever. And that was with us remodeling it, spending $15,000 on it when I got here in 2009 for our 100th anniversary. And it's already bad and deteriorated. And I don't have $15,000 to spend on a gym that nobody uses. In the new building? You'll come in that week in November and the women's ministry wants to host and provide lunch for us. You will walk in, you will worship in an intimate fashion, sitting around tables, enjoying one another, enjoying the meal. And I know I'm like way over time. So if we lose you on live stream or I don't know if that can even be adjusted, we'll we'll try to get something up later. I'm gonna be quick and wrap this up. And you'll never have to move. You'll be able to come into one building, do everything you want, be able to enjoy that because any configuration can be set up. You can sit around tables, you can sit in rows to to maximize occupancy of it. We can do anything we want to. The next step over is the gray, kind of light purplish one. That's the lobby area. Our current lobby, and this is important to us. This is the relational. It's practical, it's relational, and it's missional. In fact, we can open this facility for just about any event in the community we want to host. The new facility, not this facility. It doesn't work. They've tried and we've tried over and over. The lobby, the gathering area in the new facility functions as a new fellowship hall, functions as a new gathering place. It is by nature, generationally cross-traffic. You walk into that lobby and you will see, just like you do when you finally get in here, everyone. If you come to, if you bring your grandchildren to church, you will be able to walk into church. You will be able to go to church and your grandchildren will be with you the entire time unless they move into the children's area during Bible study. But they'll be able to move and interact and you'll be able to move and interact with them. One of the things that everybody always says about our church is we just love the fact we've got everything. I've got teenagers in front of me. I've got senior adults right behind them. I've got senior adults on my right. I've got young families on my left. I've got young families on live stream. We've got everything. But we're never together other than this one moment, one hour a week in a building that costs an amazing amount of money to keep up and keep functioning. This allows us to do all of that. So we go from 2,800 square feet in the new building into this lobby, which is 768 square feet. We took out the bridal room and created a cafe area because we found that in 2022, coffee is absolutely essential. I overheard two deacons discussing that they wouldn't make it through the message this morning without coffee. And they didn't even know what was gonna happen and how I was gonna derail everything today. Nearly nearly 3,000 feet of gathering space every Sunday when we come together children's area, this is big and important to me. The children's area is not only clean, it's not only relevant and up to date, but it is ADA accessible. Any child can attend the new church. There are children who cannot come to this church. Our children's wing is upstairs. And you take hallways and stairs that are steeper than and narrower than any other new building is allowed to build an accessible child cannot attend First Baptist Church. That is unacceptable to me as your pastor. All children's activities are ground floor. There is a single entrance into the children's area. There are multiple exits, but they are secure exits where no one else can enter. At this point, again, I'm probably going to scare the parents. Bear with me, because we're correcting these things. At this point, there are nine different, unsecure entrances into the areas we keep kids. The only way we can secure it is with volunteer personnel that watch the doors and watch the traffic. And our preschool area, the most vulnerable area, is a hallway that used to be traversed by people moving from one parking lot to the next parking lot, from one building to the next building. I heard about that when we shut it down. How am I supposed to get across? And I don't know what to tell you other than to park. That's the other building. But we're not letting general traffic flow through our babies and toddlers. That just doesn't make sense. It's not sustainable. We cannot finish and we cannot win. But the new facility gives us that option. The second floor, which is accessible because of elevators as well as stairs, has all adult classes and they average 1,100 square feet. Our current adult classes are a configuration of little bedrooms with little closets and very difficult for classes to meet. They average anywhere from 600 square feet to about 1,100 square feet, which is why they are a premium. Somebody asked me last week, how come you guys don't promote? (laughs) Any class gets a room that they're comfortable in I'm thinking all kinds of analogies, but you're not gonna blast them out. We can't grow, we can't, we, can't, we can't create new classes when they get too large. Because the buildings are not accessible in many different aspects. In this respect, everybody. Now granted, this is all shared. This is, this is shared building space. And so it's gonna be a little bit different. Some decorations aren't gonna get moved. And I know that's going to be painful. But we'll walk with you in the grief. But we'll be able to do ministry. We'll be able to accomplish. It's practical. It's highly relational. And I know that sounds funny to say a building is highly relational. But you know it. it you know, Some people buy older houses on purpose. But I know when I bought an older house in Houston... It had already been partially remodeled and we would finish the remodeling to open the whole house out. The house I grew up in had a living room, a dining room, a kitchen, and, a, and, a, and like a, a, a second dining room, a breakfast room, and a den. We met in five different rooms at different times. It was a small family, so it worked. You can't find a house like that today. There's none of the new subdivisions you're moving to have houses like that. They all have great rooms because people want to be together. People need to be together. So why would we want to continue sustaining a church that prohibits us being together when we can? Now, of course, there's a price tag on all this, and you all know that. You're already expecting that. But no consultant we've talked to, no architect we've talked to, and no architect or consultant that has been in conversations with buyers has said you can for a less amount of money retrofit or we would if I had the money we would retrofit but the truth is to stay in this location requires to remove to the ground and rebuild and why would we want to do that when we have the best gift to the city of Tomball and the region of Tomball with the 32 acres a prior generation gave us. That 32 acres is not designed to become a megaplex of a church. It is designed to have athletic fields and recreational area, which we've already built. We built that a couple years after I got here. Every night, there are hundreds of children on our new property playing soccer and other sports and underneath our pavilion and using the restrooms. Every night of the week, that takes place. Every Saturday, there are thousands of children from this region invited onto our property and they're there all day in tournaments and activities. We wanna develop the rest of the property into parks in eating areas and social areas and even retail areas where people can be at First Baptist Church seven days a week in some form or some capacity. That's the missional aspect of it. We tie in and bless the city through these activities. We give them a place to go. Any day of the week, we drive by there every day of the week, All of us, even on Saturdays. You wouldn't want to do it on a Saturday because there are literally thousands of kids out there. Every day of the week, businessmen, businesswomen, people who are off, people who are coming through town, it is the number one lunch spot. You pick up your food, you go out to our property, you sit under the trees, you sit under the pavilion, and you eat lunch. We want to strategically make that happen. There's entire areas that will be designed where you can picnic, where you can walk, where you can bring your family and you can enjoy being there. And we can share the hope that's in Jesus without complication. There's no streets going between any buildings. And so children are safe. And in Houston, let's face it, Wouldn't it be nice? This is purely an amenity at best. But in Houston, it's one unanimously all the teams agreed. You can pull up, drop your wife off, or drop your kids off under a covered pavilion that allows them to go in the building. And once you're in the building, you don't have to step out of the building until you want to go home. just want you to think about that in about a minute and a half When we sing the last song and Josh lets us out of here and you have to walk across the street, which may or may not have traffic at this time of day on a Sunday. And today, it's pretty nice. But in July, it was brutal. This is not a place for a lot of outdoor activities that require you to mix outdoor and indoor. So we create a place that has tons of outdoor activities when you want to be outdoors and has all you need indoors. It's the opposite. This is not gonna get me in any magazines. I'm not gonna get written up, not gonna end up on anybody's calendar, not gonna end up in any covers. They do not want conference speakers that downsize their churches. So, but that's okay. I've been doing this long enough, and I'm happy enough, and I'm secure enough. I don't need anybody's accolades. All I want is this family to be a family and prepare it for the future family, our children and our grandchildren. The only legacy I'm interested in leaving behind at First Baptist Church Tomball is one of practicality, authentic relationships, and a missional goal to make sure anybody we can intersect with, here's the hope that's in Jesus. Because I think when you look at the conclusion and you come to this place where you've seen the commitment required, you've seen what it takes to finish, you've seen what it takes to strategize, and you see what it takes to make a decision, I think the inescapable conclusion is always going to be the same. Yes, Jesus is worth whatever it costs me. I would not change in any way, shape, or form the fact that I made the decision to follow Jesus. Jesus. I believe and I trust him. And I want to invite you to do that. It's worth it. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for a unique morning together. Thank you for providing for us, taking care of us. Thank you for a group of people that deeply loves one another and deeply loves the places that you've allowed us to live. And we want to be stewards of that and create a future that is sustainable. Let us finish what began over 100 years ago. Let us finish it. And if you don't come back, let us give it to the next generation so they may finish it. We trust you. We make that decision right now to believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.